Hi, I am Father Russell Pollitt from the Jesuit Institute, and you are tuned in to Radio Veritas, where we bring you the good news for a change. Good morning to you. Lovely to have you with us again. And today we say good morning to Reverend Father Russell Pollitt. Morning, Russell. How are you this morning? Good morning, Father Emil. Very well in yourself. And a very happy new year to you. To you as well. Did you have a good break? I did. It was lovely having a break. I got so used to doing nothing that uh, I'm longing for those days again. <laughs> 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 nothing but, you know, sort of sleep when you want to sleep and read and uh, watch television and uh, and that sort of thing. But anyway, it was lovely a lovely break, except that I also broke by falling on the 2nd of January and sprained my ankle. Oh, dear, that's not very good. And that's not good at all. And I thought that this was going to be the year of my healing. But uh, I sprained my ankle, and so I've just got to be careful. Much better at the moment, but uh, I've just got to take care. Anyway, not about me. Let's talk about you this morning and uh, what we can, what you might be able to speak to us and comment on. The, the, the big announcement that we had uh, just a day or two ago was the President Zuma's announcement and the ramifications about the state capture and so on. And I thought that, knowing you, you'd have something to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um, very interesting, the announcement that the president made. That's the second time now he's made a kind of announcement that I think has um, bowled a curveball at the ANC and also at the country. The first one, of course, on the 16th of December when he announced that... um, uh, there would be free education for people who live in households that have less than 350,000 rand income a year. And then day before yesterday, uh, of course, we need to remember that that was on the eve of the ANC's electoral conference that he did that. Day before yesterday, the eve of the ANC's uh, January the 8th statement and NEC meeting, uh, the president comes out and he says that he's going to uh, put together this commission which he's been told to do for the last two years. He's challenged the court about this. I mean, two or three weeks ago, we know that there was a a, a kind of um, a challenge in court. He appealed the decision where the court ruled that the public protector was right. So even the fact that he still has a legal challenge about this, he's done what he's challenging, which is which is in itself very interesting. It seems to me that this is the last uh, one of Jacob Zuma's last bit attempts again to... Uh, try and hold on to power. Um, sources were telling me that, you know, people were thinking that maybe around this time there would be a discussion about his exit, uh, and uh, you know there would be there would be maybe even some negotiation with him about an exit. And one of the issues they would use was the fact that Zuma had basically ignored uh, court. And he also had uh, gone against uh, what the ANC wants, because the ANC was quite clear at its electoral conference that they want this, um, you know, commission and state capture set up. So what he's done is he's once again made it very difficult for them to go after him. He's done the, the thing that they wanted, uh, and he's playing a very astute uh, political game. Um, some people tell me, I don't know if this is true, that there was a meeting uh, between him and some of Sir Ramaphosa's people, where they tried to get him to resign with all sorts of perks. He's refused to do so, and he is going to uh, fight the good fight. And this is part of um, what he's going to use to 
basically uh, fight that good fight. Mm. So the politics of the country remains uh, very, very interesting. I would say that, um, you know, once again, uh, Zuma seems to be a man who is very astute politically and knows exactly how to put the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, uh, exactly. I think, I think you're right about that. Uh, is there still talk about impeachment now? Yeah, there is. You know, um, there's talk about impeachment. Now, of course, the ANC is saying that the Zuma issue is not on the NEC's agenda yeah. in East London this week. Mm. Um, yesterday, Parliament was meeting, the Parliamentary Committee was meeting to look at what the court ordered them to do. I think Section 89 of the Constitution to look at the whole uh, process of impeachment. There, were, there was a, The Parliamentary Committee was meeting to discuss that. Um, I, you know, that might be the only road left for the ANC. But, you know, given the fact that the organization, despite all the talk of unity, and this is where I think many people perhaps are uh, being deceived. You know, there's a lot of talk of unity. Mm. But if we look across our political spectrum, not just the ANC, but even the DAs, the ANC is on and on about unity. We know it's a farce, and we know that there's no unity. We know that they're deeply, deeply divided. I mean, you just have to look at someone like Patabile Lamini and the things that she says mm. about other people in the party to immediately feel that there's deep divisions in the politics. You know, for people who think that the DA is going to save South Africa, think again. Um, the Democratic Alliance is terribly divided. Just look what's going on in the Western Cape and uh, the fight that's going on with uh, Patricia Galil. Uh, if you look at uh, the, the 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 fractious lines between you know the leadership of the DA and Helen Zilla, yeah. uh, we we live in a time where politics is really divided, and I can't but help think to myself that very often this is not driven by principle but by ego. Yeah. It's, it's it's the ego of these people who want to be in in, in charge that drives the, these kinds of divisions. And what happens? They're so busy fighting for their own positions for their own power, for their own egos, that ultimately the common good, the normal men and women of this country, are always the people on the periphery and are always the people who come off second best. Mm. You know, another thing we never we, we never hear about, we always attribute all these things to Zuma and, and the President Zuma. And uh, sometimes I wonder, is it he that is so astute, as people credit him with, or is it that he's got some people around him who are very clever and very uh, astute in making these proposals that he brings to the fore? You know, you raise a very interesting and a very important point there, uh, Father Emil. Aye. Very often, when you have someone like this in place, yeah. who perhaps people like to fire at, mm. and I am in no way a Zuma fan, let me say that, yeah. I do, however, think that we are very naive think that it is just this one man mm. who is carefully, you know, threading everything as he wants it. Mm. You're right. He's surrounded by other people who are like-minded. In many ways, I think, because I heard the other day as well, that many people who are ministers now and in positions in government around him mm. are starting to turn against him. Mm. They, were, they, were, they were propping him up because they themselves knew there was something in it for them. And mm. as soon as they see the Zuma star waning, mm. no doubt they will change allegiances because, once again, this is not about anything to do with the, with the greater good, the, the, the common good. Mm. It's about people and their individual egos. So, you know, the whole thing of, okay, if the ANC changes uh, the leadership, 
in the country and they take Zuma off, you know, things will be better, things will be different. Mm. Well, maybe in terms of the icon, we will then have a president who doesn't have 783 charges against him. Mm. However, we have to remember that he did not get there alone and he did not remain there alone. Mm. And there are many other people around him who advise him, who help him, who stand to gain from him being there that have all helped create this narrative. Mm. Uh, So we can't just look at one man and blame him. We have to say that there's a collective here that needs to take responsibility. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I think that's very important that we, that, you know, that we keep that in mind because it's sometimes you can only see one dimension on radio or television and so on. But it's good to realize that <laughs> it's kind of a teamwork. He's just the leader of the team. Exactly. And it's easy to criticize him. And he's become the sort of person uh, that everyone criticizes. That's the butt of every joke. Yeah. Um, you know, one just looks at things that are, that are going around. Yeah. And, you know, in one way, he has set up an administration that has empowered the kind of, uh, you know, behavior that we've seen play out. Yeah. On the other hand, it is not just one man who does this and everybody else sits there, you know, and everyone else is innocent. Right. Absolutely. There have to be a number of other people who need to take responsibility. And I think this is very often what people like Corruption Watch and so forth are saying. And the disappointment is not just with Zuma, the person, but the disappointment is the ANC, because the ANC has failed to hold these people in power accountable, not just Zuma, but everybody else around him, who are all ANC members. Right. There's been no sense that the ANC as an organization has been willing to hold these people accountable. Right, yeah. And, you know, this is, this is the narrative that's come out sometimes, well, even from the, from the, from the, from the veterans, from right. people like Father Mkachwa, you know, that, um, you know, the organization itself has failed to hold these people accountable. Mm, mm, uh, and it's not just a case of there's one rogue who's misleading the whole organization. Mm, no, 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 no. There are many people yeah. who do and have supported him. And as I say, watch how these people will suddenly turn against him when they see his star waning and, and back somebody else where they think it will be good for their political careers, mm, their future, their image, etc., mm, etc. Mm. And that's where we see this this terrible human thing of ego right. uh, playing into the whole situation mm. and, the, and the desire for power. Yeah. Father Russell, it's, it's, yeah, thank you so much for those comments. I'm, I'm just wondering now, you know, when you have listeners on Radio Veritas, we'll be saying, but now there's Father Russell, he's, he's making some kind of political statement about uh, President Zuma, and then they all, people are, can just see them nodding their heads. Yes, Father, that's true. How, how the, what does this have to do, or what does the church have to do with this? Why should we as church be commenting on something like this? I think it's very important that we understand this, and, I, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up, because one of the big things that's happened in the last couple of weeks is the sermon that Archbishop Talmud Mahoba of the Anglican Church gave in Cape Town for, at Christmas time. And that sermon was very strong and very directive about what he thought should happen in the country. And there was a big argument afterwards about, you know, some people saying, absolutely right, he needs to say this. And on the other hand, uh, people saying, the church and politics don't mix. Why are you talking politics? Why are you saying things that you are? I think we need to understand this and and be very clear that one goes right back to, to the scriptures, to the Old Testament. It has always been the role of those in religious uh, positions, those who are faith leaders, to hold those in power accountable. 
And, you know, people say, okay, well, then why aren't they doing, uh, you know, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? Okay, it's not possible to do everything. But I think it's very important. If the church is doing what she's supposed to be doing, if the church is calling for the principle of the common good, if the church is making an option for the poor and looking and, and saying, you know, we really need to look after the poor, if the church is going to be involved in the lives of people, the church has no choice but also to speak out when we see things happening that have direct impact on A, the common good, and B, the lives of those on the margins. You know, one of the things that we very often talk about in the church is the way that we as a community should live and the values of the gospel. We talk about, you know, uh, generosity and peace and, and so forth and all these things. Well, in a, in a climate that is created where those values are, are literally being chopped off from being lived because people in power are making decisions which make it difficult or almost impossible to live those values, there the church needs to be, and we need to be speaking out very strongly about that um, because ultimately the church is about ensuring the dignity of the human person, uh, the, the, you know, that, 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 that's, that that's respected and that's upheld, upheld and that, that everyone lives a, a, the kind of life that we see, that God's vision for them, God's vision for the world, God's vision for, for life. And anything that stops that, whether that's poverty because there's been uh, a corruption or whether it's because of unjust laws or whatever, it is the role of the church to speak out. Um, and, you know, we should never be um, politically affiliated. Now, it's very hard when there is a party in charge to maybe say, okay, look, we're not, we're not criticizing, you know, uh, a party or whatever, and yet the person represents that party. And, and, and we, make it, we, we find it very hard to make those distinctions. And I think, you know, that there have been many things, for example, that the ANC has done that we need to applaud. We can't, we can't ignore the good. But at the moment, there's a problem, and we would be remiss. In actual fact, even failing in our calling, I think, in our vocation as ministers, as the church, as leadership, if we did not speak out. And we need to separate these things in our minds, which I think is very difficult to do, because politics is often a very emotive thing, as is religion. Mm. Well, Russell, thank you for that prophetic um, outburst of yours now, and I think it's so important. I'm glad you've just brought that, 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 that shine to what we are talking about here today. How, when you look at the church in South Africa now in 2018, what would be your, your wish list? I think, I think there's two things. I was thinking about that question since um, I was asked to, to speak about it. I think there's two things. I think, once again, exactly what we're talking about, how does the church enter the narrative of the country and make a stand about the issues that are important for the church in terms of uh, the lives of ordinary people that we know? And we know the lives of ordinary people well in the church. If we are ministering and doing it well, and if we and the church is found all over the place in the country, it's found in rural areas, it's found in urban areas, we should really have a sense of of what people are desiring. And we should be responding to those needs and also making other people aware of those needs. And I think that that's where it comes on the national narrative. So it's my hope for the church in South Africa in 2018 that most especially the leadership of the church will find 
you know, the, the gap that they need and use the doors that are open to them to make sure that the voice of the church is heard in South Africa in 2018. It seems to me that some of the other churches are able to do this, and we in the Catholic Church really need to work hard to re-establishing our voice uh, in 2018 here in South Africa. Mm. My second thing would be the way that we are church. You know, I just, over the holidays, uh, Emil, I read this fascinating book by this man who's actually coming to South Africa next year, James Mallon, called Divine Renovation. Uh-huh. And he's talking about, are we a church of maintenance or are we a church of mission? And uh-huh. if one reads that book, and especially those first few chapters, you kind of get the sense that we really are a church of maintenance. And he says a church of maintenance just manages to maintain its numbers, make sure that the buildings are still standing and things like that. The church of mission really goes out. It's the kind of church maybe that we've heard Pope Francis talk about. Uh-huh. And my other hope for 2018 is that we really learn to become a church of mission. You know? uh, we talk about numbers of people, you know, who, who don't go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about Catholics maybe who have left the church and gone to other churches. But we all know people. They're in our family. They're amongst us, our, our family groups, our friendship groups, people who are still Catholic but maybe don't go to church, not involved in the church. How do we go on mission to bring those people back? How do we uh, you know, really move out from ourselves, from, as Pope Francis would say, kind of like from our from our own uh, little domain. How do we move out and really become a church of, of mission where people can see in us uh, the joy of the gospel? So those would be my two hopes. And I think that, in a way, they link, because when we are participating in the, in the narrative of the country, when the church is a voice that people respect and listen to because it's got something to say, I think people who maybe, you know, who are on the margins or who have left the church say, yes, these people are saying something that's important, and I want to go back. I want to be part of that again. How do mm. we really become missionaries? Mm. Very good. Excellent. Wonderful, wonderful focus. Are, are you in the Jesuit Institute going to be planning in, in the line that you've been talking about now? Well, uh, Father Mellon is coming, um, you know, uh, and he's coming under the guise of... of, of um, of this divine renovation, and I think um, also co-sponsored by Alpha, and he'll be talking around the country. So we're, we're kind of supporting, in a way, from the sidelines. Yeah. What we are doing this year is we're bringing Father Brian Massingale to the country. Father Massingale is a, is a theologian and an ethicist. Um, he's been for many years in charge of um, the Board of African-American Theologians in the United States, and he'll be coming to talk around issues of race and racial justice and the experience of the United States versus the experience of South Africa. And following on on that, the Jesuit Institute also hosting with the University of Pretoria and the University of, of Fordham in New York, a conference in South Africa on the question of religion and racial justice. So, you know, in a way, how do we, how do we, how do we deal with a situation in our country, which is a very divisive one, which has also been in some ways set up by, by the politics, but in other ways it's, it's dealing with history, how do we deal with that from a theological perspective? Because every other way that people have tried to deal with this problem in the country doesn't seem to have got very far. We still see these horrible incidents of racism. Just these last few weeks, we've heard these things again. So how do we as a church speak prophetically and make a stand about these things and also become missionaries of reconciliation, rather uh, reconciliation which has a strong um, sense of justice rather than, uh, you know, just... Uh, 
once again, looking after ourselves and worrying about what's going on mm. simply in our own parishes. I mean, mm. how do we work together to, to bring about um, the kind of reconciliation this country needs? Because quite clearly, this is an area for us that, uh, you know, in South Africa is not uh, where it should be after however many years of, of, of democracy, for many, many uh, reasons, that is, of course. It's not just one reason. Right, yeah. So that's one of the things uh, that we will be doing um, uh, this year to try and to, and to uh, you know, be missionaries of, of the values of the kingdom. Right. That's wonderful. Well, that's a great, great note on which to end our little chat this morning, Robert uh, and uh, uh, Russell. Thank you very, very much. Any final word you want to mention? Just to say that uh, we get back into full swing and uh, with, the, with the new year, the Lent book is coming out. Um, it's, in fact, out already. We've, we've got it. Written by Father Nicholas King and Amory Paul and Campbell called The Long Journey to the Resurrection. That's what we, we're offering this year. Every year we do a book for Lent. And also there's the annual uh, Day of Reconciliation on Ash, uh, of Recollection, not Reconciliation. <laughs> yes. I suppose it's that too. Yes. Day of Recollection for Ash Wednesday at the Jesuit Institute in Johannesburg from 9.30 in the morning till uh, 4 in the afternoon. Uh, we always get a very good turnout for that. So those are the things we're busy preparing for in the coming weeks. The yeah. Lent, uh, Father Emil, is going to be upon us before we know it. I know, exactly, exactly, yes. Well, Russell, thank you so much. Lovely talking to you again. And may I, on behalf of Radio Veritas, offer you and the Jesuits our sympathies at the death of Father Ted Rogers, who has just produced that wonderful book on the missionary martyrs of Rhodesia and Zimbabwe. And I trust you've heard that he died a couple of days ago, or 30th yes, of in December. Fact, I, was, I was even involved in getting an obituary, uh, obituary, sorry, yeah. listen to me, obituary <laughs> for him from, uh, from uh, the... Um, from the province in Zimbabwe. Yes. So thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Father Emil. And, um, yeah, that book, he, it's amazing how the Lord works. He just finished that book. That's and, right. And then uh, the Lord took him to himself. So, well, there it is, yes. Anyway, we offer you our prayers and our sympathies. And uh, thank you once again. And thank you for your sharing with us. And we always look forward to talking to you on the Thursday morning. And uh, we hope that this year 2018 is going to be another very good and insightful year as we share with you. Thanks so much, Father Russell. Thank you, Father Emma. All the best. We'll speak next week. Right. God bless. Hi, I am Father Russell Pollitt from the Jesuit Institute, and you are tuned in to Radio Veritas, where we bring you the good news for a change. Thank you.